All right, everybody, welcome to a special edition of episode 40 of the Everyday Sense podcast. We are here live on YouTube. We are excited to have everyone here. We're going right after Michael Anlauer's introductory press conference to the Ottawa media, the fans. There's a lot of alumni there, some owners from around the league. Gary Bettman was in attendance. It was a big day. Uh, so, Brendan, let's just talk about it right away. Let's get into how you felt about Anlauer's address to the fans. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing that I took from that entire conference, and let me just say to you that it was really well run. I think that in the past we've seen some things that have been a little sloppier with the organization, and that was like like from the stream to who they had in attendance to how they had the whole thing set up. Very smooth, very seamless. They even did like the champagne at the end. It's just like a whole bunch of stuff that went really well. So um, my biggest takeaway from what Ann Lauer himself said was that he's so like fan-oriented. I know... They, uh, they said many times they're going to be looking at pretty much everything through the fan lens, which is kind of a nice like term to use because <clears throat> they said it primarily with like the uh, the new arena, right? They said that they're going to be looking through the fan lens to uh, choose their next arena. They even said like they went as far as to say that the fans are going to help them pick the next arena uh, and kind of direct Ann Lauer. So that was my number one takeaway from the entire conference was that Ann Lauer kept referencing the fan base, uh, which is something that obviously is so pivotal for us because yeah, he's supplying the money, but like he also understands that like he's doing this for the fans. He is passionate. You know, he was asked uh, how he's going to build this team into a champion. And his response was that his passion, like it's his passion. It's what he loves to do. And his goal is to bring a cup. Uh, and he referenced many times, right? It's of course, let's not be naive. It's still about the money in some capacity, but he's smart enough to know that money is brought in through winning and, and obviously winning is brought like that brings fans in, you get more money from the fans and then there's like partnerships available. There's sponsorships. There's all sorts of stuff that comes with winning. Um, and organizations who recognize that are the ones who win for decades at a time because they continue to invest, invest, invest. So what were your initial thoughts? What did you take from this? Because uh, I absolutely loved it. I think it was a A plus home run. Everything we've seen kind of written about him is that he's he's a very personable guy, just kind of down to earth, all of that. And yeah, like, like you can take that at face value, but I think you can really see it in this press conference. Like he was nervous being up on stage there for a little bit and, and you know, getting emotional. And of course he is. This is a monumental thing for his family and his family for, for years to come, like decades and generations to come. This is a big deal. But I think what I like the most is how he was cracking jokes the whole time, kind of. Um, and I, my favorite moment, I just remembered this and I wanted to mention it quickly when he was, I think, I forget who asked him, but uh, they asked him about the players and stuff like that. And, and cause he also mentioned being an employee first owner and that includes the players as well. He talked about, uh, you know, winning a Stanley cup is their goal as well. And then he kind of looked at Bettman and, and then said, uh, or a gold medal and kind of gave him a look. And I love that. Like, that's just funny. He obviously is is alluding there to the fact that the NHL hasn't really allowed their players or had deals for their players to go to the Olympics to win gold medals. Like, and it's not like he was just giving a shot. He's just he's just aware and spatially aware. It's 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 situational humor, and I think that's uh, that's a very good quality for a person to have, especially in this capacity, because you know it, it sounds like he's been going around the CTC just meeting everyone. It's going to be extremely overwhelming uh, for him, or it had to have been this summer. So. I think getting here just kind of acclimated with the city, um, you know, serial leaders back in the fold as well. We shouldn't really bear that lead. So he'll be returning as the CEO of the Ottawa Senators. And again, Brennan, I feel like you and I are maybe a bit too young to kind of remember the good parts of serial leaders time here. But I do remember when he left, which I, I don't know what year it was. It was somewhat recently, 2016, 17, around then maybe, or maybe it was even after, but it, it was a big deal when he left. He was, 
it, it was kind of like the sky is falling. It might have actually been more recent. I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm blanking on the date there. But if, if anyone kind of remembers the exact timeline, just maybe throw it in the chat there. Um, and, and again, another reminder for those watching live right now, just throw us your comments. It's going to be an interactive live because, yeah, we've got a lot of on-ice stuff to talk about. But um, we want to know what people's thoughts were on Michael Andlauer. Like, this is this is a huge, huge day. I mean, we, you and I were, were very, very young when Eugene Melnick bought the team. So this is kind of like the first thing that we've experienced really with new ownership in our lives. And uh, it, it's a unique thing in sports, right? It's not, it doesn't happen very often. Like usually families kind of re retain throughout generations and all of that. But uh, it, it's very, um, I'm kind of struggling to find the word for it, but it was, it was a very emotional, I think, press conference. Like a, I felt a sense of relief. I don't know if you felt the same thing. Like, it's just like, we're here. Definitely, it yeah. feels like a, a, a metaphorical mountain that we climbed and we like, we, we made it. We deserve this. Sense fans deserve this more than any fan base. And I think Ann Lauer knows that. So uh, what were your takes on, I guess what he was, what he was mentioning about LeBreton. Let's talk about that a little bit. Cause that was a pretty, uh, a big um, uh, talking point. And uh, as we see in the comment here from a few people, it was leader was fired in 2017. Okay. So right, right when it all started to fall off. So it all makes sense. Yeah, so first off, you said metaphorical mountain, and we should appreciate that. That's like a, a wicked saying that you just came up with. But uh, yeah, so LeBreton, if I'm not mistaken, I might have misheard, but I think he said that was like the most desired location or one of the best pieces of land in all of North America to develop, which is kind of insane, but like it is a great spot, right? And obviously, he did mention that like there's options because I think he was asked like where he plans to go, and that's where the whole fan lens thing came up. And there's options. There's the, the federal buildings that are empty too that everybody's talking about. But I think just reading between the lines of what he was saying, I, I'm seeing that he really wants to go to LeBreton. That is kind of the impression he gave off. Obviously he said he's already talked to, to a few people and is having, you know, things he's talked to the mayor too. So uh, I would assume that that's kind of their intention is to go there. Um, and, and yeah, that was a huge takeaway was the whole, like, it's one of the most desirable pieces of land. That's awesome to hear. And it seems like he's not gonna, to, you know, hold back any money on this. Like he's going to go all in. I also love that. He said they're expecting to be at the CTC for probably another five ish years, at least just because construction and the government and how it all kind of slows things down. But he even went as far as to say, they're going to be putting more, like they're going to be investing more into the CTC. They're going to be doing a lot to improve the fan experience. Like, I just can't wait. I know we've seen a few things on Twitter here and there that they've already upgraded in the CTC uh, in regards to like looks and, and fan experience, but that's just going to keep coming. I think with uh, with the different people they brought in too, and, and also should mention that Aaron Crow, who is the chief financial uh, officer, or is going to also be the chief operating officer. I believe that's the, the title they're giving her. So she did really well last year as well. But for Manlauer, just hearing that he's going to be investing so much into the fan experience, like we haven't had that. And I mean, a couple of years ago that somebody big or a group like the athletic or somebody did like uh, arena rankings and, and fan experience rankings for every team. And I think Ottawa was among the, the last place teams in the league, just because like the arena kind of is a bit older. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing around the in-game experience. Although I do think that admittedly they improved it a lot last year. I talked to some people about that who were working on it and they, they did do a lot last year to improve it. It was awesome to go to games. Um, but before that, it was like kind of lacking. There wasn't a whole lot that was different than anywhere else. Right. Uh, and obviously the playoffs play a big factor in that too, but Ottawa ranked around last place because they didn't really do much like to enhance the fan experience. And now Ann Lauer is going to come in. He's going to find these different unique things to really bring people to the games. And I think that's big for the casual fans because like, obviously the diehard fans who are out here, like, 
um, going to every single game or following every single game, even when the team was terrible and the Uber situation was happening. And like, we still followed the team, but like, I think the more casual fans make up a lot of the population in regards to who buys tickets and to bring casual fans to games, obviously winning is a big thing. They want to watch a winning team, but it's also the fan experience. It's also doing things that actually make them engaged and want to come back, right? Like you want to leave people when they leave the CTC, they should be feeling like, I want to come back, even if the team loses, right? <laughs> like, it shouldn't be win or lose. It should be, that was really fun, regardless of win or lose. So I think Ann Lauer sees that. He's going to be putting a lot into that. Uh, and yeah, the fan experience, I'm, I'm really looking forward to. Unfortunately, I moved to Edmonton, so I will not even be <laughs> able to experience that a whole lot. But I'll come back at some point and feel it, hopefully uh, hopefully for the playoffs. If they make the playoffs, I'm flying back. I don't care. I'll, I'll drop the <laughs> however much money I need to. I'm watching that. But yeah, I'm excited for sure. Yeah, I'll I'll be at that home opening weekend with uh, with Derek Lee, little future sickos alumni there with, with me. So we've got a little tradition going where we go to the home opener and the next game is the next day and the next night. So we figured let's let's make it a two first. So we're going to both and we'll be there. Um yeah, I think I think a good way to get the fan experience back. J Core 05 knows what knows what's going on here uh with the prime minister's race i think that was that was a i don't know when that left but that was fun um maybe i don't know if that would slide today in today's day and age for some reason i feel like that would be a little bit uh uh you know maybe, I, I i'm not personally saying i think it would be bad but I, I i'd imagine at some point someone would be like no you can't do that but um that would be a funny way to to get the fan experience back but i will say honestly like in in the times i've been to the canadian tire center and i think mostly post pandemic and it could be uh uh you know, being happy to be back in a sporting venue when it, when it all opened up again. But I, I don't think the, the CTC itself is a bad arena. Like, yeah, the, the hot water is not great, but they've done a lot of stuff in the last few years to, um, to really enhance the fan experience. And I'd imagine a lot of that was to boost the sale of the team, right? You know, you're going to sell eventually might as well. Uh, so I, I do think that, that they're, they're not in a bad spot. It's just where the location is, right? It's, it's the fact that it's so far. And that's obviously why downtown makes sense. Uh, but yeah, another, another point here from cleft eight, it's that it's not going to be the owner who holds up LeBreton. And again, I'm not saying it was all on Eugene Melnick, which is why it didn't happen, but it's the relationships he had. And that's what kind of made it all fall apart. He had a bad relationship with former mayor, Jim Watson. They didn't really all see eye to eye with the NCC, but now, you know, Ann Lauer couldn't go to Mark Sutcliffe's breakfast, uh, last week because he wasn't the official owner yet. And he mentioned in the conference, he said, what did I do instead? I went and met with Toby Newsbaum of the NCC. So like, it's just kind of a two birds, one stone thing, right? Like he, he mentioned, they've got an owner. Like he, he said, I think, you know, paraphrased here, but he said the mayor wants the team down there. The NCC wants the team there. And then he said, he kind of waited a little bit, but then he just kind of confirmed. He said, and the Ottawa senators want to be down there. And I don't think that's, it's not a secret. It's just nice hearing it. So he mentioned, you know, all four parties or three parties or whatever it is. Um, have the same goal. It's just about coming together and collaborating. And I'll go even further to that because I think that was the biggest issue with Melnick's tenure. Yeah, the way he treated people, it was a toxic work environment, all of that. But the biggest thing was the relationships he built with business partners and all of this. The fact that Ann Lauer is coming in with 11 other partners, he said, 11 other partners with a stake in the team, it should bode well for how he's able to do business in the future. And it really does still seem though, like it's just his, like this is his team but he's got all these partners. So you have to be able to work with people. And that goes even further into he's a good person to be around. And he's, you know, uh, very, you know, crack, like the humor, but like, I think someone else said in the chat as well, like he's, he's very professional, but he gives off a sense of, of humor as well, which is hard. You can't teach, right? It's just who you are. So to me, I think that's really important for 
season ticket stuff for, for fan experience. Like all of that is, is huge. Um, and not to mention also he's mo- he moved to Westboro. Like he's living in the, I mean, also fun fact, Westboro pretty close to uh, LeBreton Flats. If, if I don't, if I don't want to, you know, speculate there, but obviously a lot of players live down in Westboro as well, but it, it, it's, it's, I, I just think it, I'm, I'm rambling here, but I'm just, um, it, it was a good, it was a really, bre- it was a breath of fresh air. It really was. And it's been a long time for fans. Like the last 10 months have been pretty hectic, but, um, and he, he mentioned the same thing. Like the, even the summer after it was already kind of rumored that, or confirmed that it was his bid that was going to win. Um, it took a while, didn't it? Like it, it, and he mentioned it was, it was because of him and how many partners he had and stuff. And the NHL had to do their due diligence and all that, which makes sense. So, um, he, he kind of, he didn't really go into off, uh, on ice stuff, I should say, um, mentioned briefly, you know, the alumni with, with Alfie and we didn't get an Alfredson announcement. I don't know if, I don't know if I was expecting it, but he was in the building. He was there. So they're obviously still working out what that's going to, what his role is going to be. Um, but you know, I, I'm kind of trying to think too of what some some of the things that Gary Bettman said, um, and and Bettman kind of mentioned, you know, that this is this is the common goal was to keep the team in Ottawa, and maybe we can mention something about being, you know, Ann Lauer also mentioned being stuck between the two largest markets in the NHL. So, um, what were your thoughts on the way he was kind of portraying that? And also, we'll go into the Gatineau, uh, Ottawa Gatineau stuff too because that's very important. Yeah, I mean, he, he seems to really be embracing this underdog story. He uh, he had that come out the other day, too, and he kind of like reset it. But he said that they're between the two biggest markets who think they're at the center of the hockey universe, which is like a hilarious shot. That was another thing was he's so like humorous, which is a very entertaining guy. Like he, he could be an entertainer. I'm sure we'll hear more from him during the season. But yeah, I mean, the underdog story is obviously something that's really going to be fun to follow, kind of interesting. Um and then the Ottawa Gatineau thing, he constantly is, he brought that up many times, which is awesome. Like he really seems to be integrating himself into the community. Uh, and then the commitment thing was big because obviously like, especially other fan bases with the whole Ann Lauer thing, they were saying, oh, he's going to be moving the team, another Toronto team, of course, like hockey center of the hockey universe there. So uh, people were saying that. And then Belleville was another one too. the AHL. They thought that he'd probably move the team out of Belleville. And cause he's been so committed to Hamilton. They thought that he'd want to move another team there and yada, yada, yada. He came out and said here, like, Gary Bettman said Ottawa there's nothing to worry about the best days are ahead no concern over moving the franchise over the franchise in general and then Ann Lauer came out and said he went to Belleville already and met with a bunch of the members of the team there met with the mayor of Belleville and he told him like he assured him they're not going to be moving either so he's really going to be keeping consistent with what Ottawa has right now uh, from an organizational standpoint that's going to be huge and and the integration of him in the community is something that like we just that's so important for any owner, but I don't think every owner necessarily does it right. Like we talked about Ryan Reynolds and if he would have become owner, like was Ryan Reynolds going to dedicate his like 90% of his time to living in Ottawa and, and running the centers? Like, no, he's a Los Angeles guy who's, who's a movie star, right? Like he's going to be still filming his movies, doing everything. This would be like half of his life. The other half would be doing that for Ann Lauer. This is like his whole life. This is everything he's doing now is, is built up to this. And he's got kind of his dream job now, I guess you could say. Uh, and, and he seems like he's, going to be spending all of his time doing it so we, we talked about that and i think that just him talking about ottawa gatineau obviously he said too they've he's got partners uh that are business people in ottawa gatineau that know the city know the team are passionate um i had the the partners he said he also had real estate partners the malholcha family is uh, involved as well he's got partners in the hockey business like it's just an organization a group here of 
uh, that's the new ownership group, appears to be very well built from top to bottom. It's not just Dan Lauer, even though he's kind of taking all the attention right now. There's a lot of other pieces. We know uh, Rocco Tulio from the Oshawa Generals. He's also involved as well. Uh, the owner of the Oshawa Generals, the OHL. So that's another hockey name and, and a big one. Um, but yeah, overall, I'm, I'm pretty content with the the group. I'm excited to kind of see a list of like who's actually involved here. Uh, and then hopefully, yeah, Daniel Alfredson is next on the docket too. Because I was in part expecting him to near the end of his little, when he was talking, I was kind of thinking maybe he's going to pull out a little Daniel Alfredson card and get the real ovation. Because there was a lot of ovations. But if, they, if he announced Daniel Alfredson, the crowd would have gone just nuts. So uh, I was kind of expecting that, but I think he's going to save that for another time. Uh, I'm certainly hoping to hear that in the next little bit too. You know what though? Last year it was like the most, the biggest moment that gave you chills ever when Daniel Alfredson came out to like the good day song and he, he came out on the ice and, and before the, that was a home opener, I guess. And just so electric. Uh, what if they do that again this year? But like similar in the sense that they're going to announce right before the, the season opener, or the home opener, that Daniel Alfredson is back with the team in a player development role or something. It'd be kind of cool. So I think they have a bigger thing planned for that. Uh, in part that, you know, correlates to the fan experience too. So overall, um, like I said, home run press conference uh, and, and Ann Lauer already integrating himself. He said this is his second day on the job. It feels like it's been a lot longer than that. He's been kind of doing things behind the scenes. Obviously, he invested the money into Jake Sanderson and, and the on-ice stuff, regardless of, you know, the the quote, like he didn't technically because he wasn't the owner. He did. It's all been him since pretty much over the last few months. Um, but yeah, like... I think this is better than we could have ever imagined from even a Ryan Reynolds type. Maybe if he would have won this, this whole presentation would have been like more movie-esque and like dramatic. But I think that as a whole, we have an owner who's committed to the city, he's committed to the team, and he's committed to winning. And that's all we wanted. Uh, we didn't want that the entertainment. We wanted to win. And, and that's for me, that's all I want. I just want the sense to win. So I'm excited for the season. Yeah, so I, I think I've mentioned this on on the podcast before, maybe around the time Ann Lauer was announced as the, the winning bid. But um I have a, a friend who I went to university with and he lives in Hamilton. So I, you know, I asked him like, Hey, what do you know about Ann Lauer? Because I knew my friend was a Bulldogs fan. Um, and, and he said like, the, he, he didn't, you didn't know much about him in Hamilton. And I don't think he actually lived in Hamilton. And I, I don't know if that's uh, where he was, but obviously was the owner of the team. Um, but you, you, uh, my friend said like you, he put the pieces in place and built a, two championship winning team in six years in junior hockey, which is almost unheard of. Right. So um, that to me, like he, he puts the pieces in place and look like seeing this press conference, like I kind of want him to be a little bit more public and in, in the public eye. Like, I don't think that'll be necessarily a bad thing. Um, but he, he mentioned it himself. Like he wants to put people in the places to make the decisions. He doesn't want to be the one making the decision because then he can't hold people accountable. I thought that was a really good, uh, line that he had and it's a good philosophy right if you're forced to make the decisions then it, it kind of I, mean, I don't want to say it puts the onus on him but it, it's a little bit you know um le less of a, a, a less of a burden on him let's say but it's it is his burden to put those people in the in the spots to make the decisions so obviously there were no bombshell uh hirings like like no big drop other than serial leader obviously but i think that was kind of rumored for a long time but um What's exciting to me, though, is, is again, like the Ottawa Gatineau connection, like a, a lot of the French questions were geared towards that because last night in his address to fans, he meant he just called it the Ottawa Gatineau community. And like, I mean, officially, that's what it is called. And he's he's not wrong. I think he said, uh, you know, word for word, he said, like, we'd be dumb not to take advantage of it uh, because it's it's a huge mar part of the market and the fan base 
Um, so, you know, I think, I think people who are living in Gatineau or close in and around can look for more send stuff in Gatineau right now, like even just promotion, like at all. Um, and you know, you look five years down the line, if the rink moves to Le Breton, that is much, much closer to Gatineau than Canada ever was. So, um, you got to kind of start building up that fan base a little bit, getting, reaching out there. You've got one at least for, for the, an extended period of time. But another one, you've got two very big fr- French Canadian stars on your team um, that, that are assistant captains, right? He mentioned the leadership group. He said Brady Kachuk, Claude Giroux, and Thomas Shabbat. Two of them are French Canadian. So you, like that's that marketing. We talked about it a lot, but uh, I think it's important that he said that. And obviously, Anne Lauer comes from Montreal, so he understands the French Canadian obsession with hockey and knows that it'll be like most people in Gatineau are likely Montreal Canadiens fans, but that's that's kind of the the mentality of being the the uh, the underdog and yeah like those fan bases are probably going to call it little brother syndrome and you know what it is but it, like who cares like that's the way it is for Ottawa so why would we like it's better to just accept that role than to um to to pretend you're something you're not and I'm not going to backpedal because I would have been excited if Ryan Reynolds or Snoop Dogg or whoever was the owner like I would have gotten excited about it eventually. But like you mentioned, it would have been this big theater thing, especially with Reynolds. It would have been this big production-wise, and it would have been a lot of national attention, which would have had its benefits. But at that point, you're almost trying to pretend Ottawa is something it's not, right? And I think what Ann Lauer is doing here and what he plans to do is embrace this underdog mentality, embrace the we're forgotten, like whatever. And like that, that'll resonate with any Sens fan anywhere um, because every Sens fan knows an arrogant Leafs fan who they might be very close with, but when it comes to hockey, they can't stand because they just look down on you. So everyone has that kind of relationship with a Leafs or Habs fan. So I think Ann Lauer embracing that part of it is, is the best. And I don't care if it, if the other fans are mentioning it being like, Oh, it's always about the Leafs, always about the Habs, but how can it not be? You're a smaller market team wedged between both of them. It's going to be eventually. Yeah, exactly. And I love the underdog story personally as well. That's uh, it's something that I love to see him embrace because like you said, I mean, that's a perfect way to put it is like every sense fan can resonate with that. And and I think he's been, he's been told and learned that as well is that like, obviously Ottawa is, and, and he was with Montreal, right? Like he knows this because he was part of the organization. Like that's a huge franchise and the Leafs are a huge franchise and, and that's great for them, right? They've got these huge fan bases and they're bigger cities, but like Ottawa, it sucks to be wedged between them, but at the same time, like we do love a good underdog story. And I think that there would be no better feeling in like life in general than simply destroying the Leafs in a playoff series. Like that's, that's, that would be the true like victory. I don't even care if the Sens never win a Stanley Cup. If they make it to the playoffs and they bounce the Leafs in the first round like this year, that would be absolutely perfect and hilarious. So uh, something to, to watch for sure. But uh, just a couple of comments here and then we can, we can kind of dive in. I mean, I'm I'm pretty good on Anlauer. Like he, that was a perfect press conference. I think we kind of hit on a lot of the points. Uh, you can go through on Twitter too. I posted a couple clips, and a lot of people have quotes and stuff. But there's some quotes too that that if you missed it, you can kind of go watch. Uh, they might even have it still posted on their website too. I'm not sure the actual press conference, so check that out. But um, like we have. This is something too, Steve Steos. I just wanted to touch on because uh, there was an update on him a little bit. So Steve Steos, obviously from Edmonton, he was their special assistant to the GM last year. Uh, he stepped away, but 
I don't think we should expect him to come in yet because I believe there was an update that he's stepping away from the Oilers due to family reasons. So it's not actually like a, a correlation to Ottawa, and I don't think he's going to be here yet. That's just something to, to note because I know a lot of people are waiting for an announcement there. And then Brent Wallace, too, from coming in hot. He said the other day he doesn't think Pierre Dorian is going to last more than three months this season. So that's another kind of hot take we've heard, just some some updates in general here. So that's something to watch. I think Ann Lauer's got his work cut out. But what I will say is if you saw pictures from that recent golf tournament uh and lauer and pierre seem to be getting along quite well they were having a blast the time of their lives so uh pierre has that impression on people where it seems like he can really kind of get get in close with them and then it's hard to let him go so we'll see uh this season but yeah i'm pretty good on ann lauer if you don't have anything else no yeah i think i think and, and amidst all of this like we would have dedicated a live stream just to this press conference probably it's a big deal uh training camp started yesterday we have a lot of sound bites and a lot of stuff to get into like obviously all the you know, DJ and Pierre do their press conferences. There were quotes everywhere from DJ. We'll get into all that. But first, Brennan, we are very proud to be a sponsor or to have the Everyday Sends podcast sponsored by Manscaped. Support for Everyday Sends podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's below-the-waist grooming. Their products are precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped's performance package, the ultimate men's hygiene bundle, join over 8 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer to you, 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SENDS20 at manscapes.com. Look, Brandon, I got my performance package. It came with uh, the, the lawnmower 4.0. You get a nose trimmer in there. Like all this stuff I didn't even know that I needed pretty much uh, for, for, for hygiene stuff. And on top of that, a t-shirt, a, a wash kit, a pair of underwear. Like it, they, they kitted me out. So again, like it's just one of those things you don't know you need until you have it. Uh, they've got some, some, I think it's called a crop preserver for, uh, for, for the, the down, down there area, right. To keep it nice and fresh. Uh, so again, use code sends 20 at manscaped.com. It doesn't have to be on the package. You can get just the trimmer, just the, the lawnmower. If you want, it doesn't have to be the whole package, but I recommend getting the whole package because quite honestly, uh, I, I don't think I'll, I, I will, I, I don't want to say, I don't think I know I won't ever go back. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SENDS20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code SENDS20. Unlock your confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. All right, Brendan, let's get into training camp. Let's do it. Um, the headline obviously was even the day before it was about uh, Josh Norris. So early thoughts on his status. How do you feel? Uh, about the way the team, if you want to just like break down what they said, what, what Norris said, like there's a lot of, there's a lot going on. So just, just take the, take the reins here for Josh Norris. Yeah. So Norris is wearing the yellow Jersey, which is non-contact uh, at camp so far. Uh, he's not going to play in the first two preseason games, but after that, they said he definitely will get in. So I'm going to hold him to that word because it's going to be pretty important for Norris who missed pretty much all of last season due to injury. Um, Basically, I mean, it's precautionary is what they're telling us. I've learned over the last few years to be hesitant to believe what they're telling us just because they've told us things like that before. And then a player suffers a season-ending injury on a face-off, and that's just the end of it, and that's the worst feeling ever. So I am obviously, uh, like I said previously before this even happened with the yellow jersey, every time Norris takes contact or goes into the corner or takes a face-off this season, I'm going to be holding my breath because it makes me really nervous, and this just kind of boosts that even further. Um 
it sucks to not have him for the first couple of preseason games. It doesn't really matter preseason, but it just makes me, like I said, a little bit nervous. Um, Norris himself came out, I believe. I didn't watch his whole thing, but I think he said that he like he did not want to even be wearing it. They kind of made him wear it just as a, a safety measure. Uh, but like again, it's just regardless of the team telling you it's precautionary and, and Norris telling you it's precautionary, because he said he tweaked his shoulder. Um, he said very minorly is, is how he put it. So I'm going to, again, hold him to that, but it makes you kind of hold your breath just for the simple fact that like you can tell us it's it's precautionary but if you're going to hold him out of games right this is a guy who missed all last season you want him to get back into the game shape if you're going to hold him out of games you're not going to let guys hit him in practice at all and of course they're learning from the pat seeloff clark MacArthur situation uh dj smith came out and said he doesn't like some of these guys who obviously like some of them you could like the quote-unquote no names who are kind of there trying to earn a contract um like they're trying to earn a contract so they're probably going to be trying to hit players as you saw with jabril tour who signed uh with the sends an entry-level deal after the rookie tournament like he his, his biggest thing in the rookie tournament was beating the hell out of a montreal canadians player uh and, and that's sticking with everybody so uh i think a lot of these guys even though they are on the same team and in the same organization during camp they're trying to earn a job like pat seeloff was trying to earn a job that year so he rocked clark MacArthur. everybody hated them for it but like just think of yourself in their shoes like even if it's josh norris and you know this is a really good nhl player and you're kind of just trying to earn a job like how are you going to earn that job you're going to throw a good hip check on them right like it's that type of thing so i think DJ Smith said that that's why it's kind of precautionary with Norris. Um, but again, for as much as you can tell us that, like it, to hold him out of games, to not have him taking game contact in practice, like it, it's just worrisome, I'd say. And, and we talked about it before. Pinto's still not signed. Uh, they expect the deal to get done. We've heard a lot on that. But at the same time, he's not signed today. He is on the camp roster, which is good. It's a step in the right direction. But right now he's unsigned and so if josh norris is not ready to go which they say he will be but if he's not if he suffers another tweak during camp or if he ends up playing in the preseason he tweaks something if pinto's not signed like this team suddenly goes from like being so exciting in the most exciting season in 10 years to being like extremely nervous and worried because now they don't have any centers so uh it's a worrisome thing for me with josh norris but how do you feel uh about his status and wearing the yellow jersey not going to be playing in the first two preseason games uh it's worrisome for me i'm not gonna lie on wednesday when they mentioned like just kind of broke it all down in dj and pierre's press conference i i wasn't as concerned about it um now though i think i'm more concerned which i don't I, maybe sitting on it made me a little bit more concerned and and you know i've seen you see the videos of him skating like he looks fine like obviously he looks pretty good actually uh shooting the puck and everything but it's just the fact that it was a small tweak right and like you mentioned like a face-off and i think a lot of people are saying we'll believe it when he takes face-offs um because that they when he came back last season they didn't like he wasn't taking draws and then it's you're like, okay, so he's not healthy. Um, so if he's not taking face-offs this year, then he's not 100% healthy. And that's the bottom line for me. Um, so yeah, I get they're being extra precautious. What I don't understand though, is if he's not healthy enough to play in the first two preseason games, but Pierre said if the season started yesterday or the season started tomorrow, he's talking about Thursday, he would play. So I don't really get that. And it really does like in terms of what Josh, uh, you know, Norris was saying, is that it is the team's decision right now. And he's probably just agreeing with it. But if it were up to him, he wouldn't be wearing a yellow Jersey. And obviously he doesn't want to, cause it's a distraction, blah, blah, blah. But quite frankly, I get, it. it's probably annoying for Norris and it's extremely like, it's, it's not more frustrating for anyone than it is for him. But as a fan and as you know, we're invested in this team, he's a key, key piece paid like a key piece as well. 
if he's tweaking stuff in a captain skate before the training camp even starts after playing eight games the year before, we're more than in our right to be concerned about Josh Norris until we see it. And like you said, every bump he takes, every face off, I'm going to be basically clenched up waiting for, you know, to see if he's okay. And like, I, I pretty much do that with any player regardless. Um, but with him, it's different. He's such a key part of this team um, that, that it, it's not even a blame. Like he can't help it. It's not his fault, but it's just the way it is right now. So I don't, I don't, I don't think it's fair for um, if there are fans out there saying, you know, it's, it'll be fine. And it's not really our business because it's become our business because it's such a big injury to a, to a heavily invested in player. It is. And, and Norris, again, it's a positional value, right? Like playing center center is arguably the most pos- important position in hockey. Yes, but it's just depth again. Like last year we had Dylan Gambrell playing as the third line center for, for games. Like that's just insane to me, but it happened because of injuries. And again, like even if Pinto signs right, you have to just kind of imagine this in your head is you've then got that you boost Pinto up to the second line and then you can put Ridley Gregg in the third line. But then what are the odds somebody else gets hurt right now? You have another gap. It's like the injuries pile on or what are the odds really Greg isn't quite ready to go? Like it, it happens, right? It's just it losing Norris and, and people forget he's a 35 goal scorer who's key on the power play. I think he even served a role in the penalty kill when he was healthy. He's, he's a good like all around player, two way center. Uh, he's quick. Like he adds a different dynamic element to the lineup and he's very good with puck possession. Um, it would suck to lose him. And again, it affects Pinto too, right? Pinto last year, yeah, he scored 20 goals, but he was not in a comfortable role in that second line. He needs to play a year in that third line, in my opinion. He needs to be in a more comfortable position for him. So then all of a sudden it correlates and it's like the trickle down effect where if Norris is out now, Pinto, his development is taking a hit because of it, right? He's in a role where maybe he shouldn't be. Uh, Ridley Gregg is then playing center where he's been playing more wing. It's just like it keeps going down and down and down, right? The depth starts to, to worsen to thin. Um, and it's just, it's frustrating. So hopefully this is really precautionary because again, I don't really believe what the organization is telling me. I I believe that it was a minor tweak. I'm not saying it's something bigger. I just don't really necessarily believe that they feel confident. He's going to be able to go out game one of the season, take a big hit or go into the corner and, and, you know, get knocked over or take a 10 face-offs and be completely fine after like, if they're a little bit nervous, even a little bit about him taking face-offs at the NHL level, then I am very nervous because that's something that you should not be worried about with uh, what is he? 23 year old center. Like that's just insane. And I think this is three shoulder injuries for him and then one starting in college. So uh, it is concerning because he's on the very beginning of a, an eight-year, $8 million contract, which is truly unfortunate for the Sens if he can't stay healthy. But hopefully the surgery did it for him and and he can be good to go because, yeah, this would be a huge loss. So that's what uh, what I've got on Norris. Well, and that's the thing, too, is like what you mentioned, not believing the team. It's like, why are you throwing him in a non-contract jersey then if he if you said he'd be ready to play? Like, I, I, that's what I don't understand. And it's it's proof that they're nervous as well and rightfully so yeah like like we mentioned it's a big piece you don't want to injure like get him uh have him get hurt again in a preseason game but like what's the I, and I, I do appreciate that it's a medical situation you can't like tell us everything and pierre did mention like he's like we're, we're trying to be as transparent as we can and i do believe that but this this almost muddies it even more that you're you say he would play if the season started tomorrow it's a minor tweak. We're putting him in a non-contact jersey. He's not going to play the first two preseason games. Like, what's going to change? Because if it was just a tweak and he's fine now, what's the point of sheltering him for an extra week? Is it like because it'll heal more? Like, that's what those I don't understand. And I'm, I'm, I have to assume that's what that means. Um, 
but yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't like it. And until I can, I don't know if I'll be comfortable watching Josh Norris until like it's 10 straight games or something like that, because he didn't string together five games last year. Um, so it, it's a tough spot again, though, there's a lot to be excited about with this team. And let's, let's focus a bit more on what some of the stuff that DJ Smith said yesterday or two days ago, I should say. Um, because I personally, I felt that in that joint press conference they did on Wednesday, DJ looked refreshed. He looked ready. Um, I think at the end of last year, what people would tell you, like media members probably saw it as well. Like, I don't think DJ thought he'd be back just because I think maybe the ownership stuff, he, he wasn't sure, but given the timeline of it, we went into that earlier. Um, I think he was afforded the ability to, to obviously come back and he knows it. And, and I think his attitude is very refreshed. So my favorite quote, we'll talk about it right now, is what he said with Sean Tierney. Um, DJ said he wants Sean Tierney to tell him what he's not good at, wants to learn what playoff teams are good at compared to the Sens. And then quote, he said, you have to be able to take criticism. Um, I was blown away by that. I really was. And I know what your, your thoughts on it are. And personally for me, I don't think DJ is as much of a dinosaur coaching wise as like he might seem, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, they play hard nose, whatever but he's been mentioning analytics for quite some time now, but it's just, it's been a little get, you know spotty and how they apply it. But him saying this truly to me shows that he's trying to adapt and evolve. Um, and, and that's the best kind of person I think in general, right. Is like, if you're willing to learn, you have to be able to take criticism on what you think you're really good at. Like he doesn't seem like a stubborn guy after that quote. So what were your thoughts on it? Because I know that that analytics and, you know, DJ's relationship with them in the dump and chase, whatever it is, um, has been a pretty, pretty hard talking point. So for DJ Smith, his entire tenure, the thing is, is he's a great talker. He's a great communicator. Um, we just need to see it on the ice. And, and that's where it's been lacking in the, in the past years is that he'll say something or he'll acknowledge like the analytics and the expected goals, but then he'll continue to play a, a game that does not focus on puck possession or the, the, you know, Alex Dabrinkit will skate over the red line. Who's an elite, you know, zone entry guy and, and can make chances and he'll just fire the puck into the corner and give the puck to the other team and then have to go try and throw a hit to get it back. And he's like five foot seven. So it's like, I, I just, it's, it's this type of thing where you can say everything, but we need to see it on the ice. Now I will say, I love that quote from DJ. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's exactly the perfect thing I wanted to hear, which is simply that DJ, one of his biggest faults has been, as I said, like he'll say things and then it doesn't really correlate, but it's more the adjustments and the adapting, like to continue playing Nikita Zaitsev. And, and it's just, this is the combative thing with his words compared to his decisions is Nikita Zaitsev, like everybody and their mother could tell you he was struggling on the ice. He should not have been paired with Shabbat. He was, he was an anchor to Shabbat. Uh, he was an anchor to the team. And yet he continued to be like this guy playing in a pivotal role for the sense for how long, right? And people will tell you, well, they weren't supposed to win those years and, and yada, yada, yada. But at the same time, like, DJ Smith was still coaching for his job, right? He was still proving that he deserved to be here. So to be making those decisions is concerning. Um, but like I said, I, I want to be positive. I love that quote from DJ uh, and the fact that he's willing to take criticism. Sean Tierney obviously came in from charting hockey, big analytics guy. He's heading that department. Uh, and that's something that, of course, like he's not just like expected goals, but he's really deep on player evaluations. He's the type of guy who would have told DJ like, hey, Nikita Zaitsev should not be playing where he's playing. He probably shouldn't even be in the lineup. So uh, that that's the type of thing. So I think DJ, if he's willing to listen, willing to actually learn some of these deeper evaluations and, and take from them, see the trends and players and stuff, that's going to be huge. Because, yeah, like that, there have been a lot of really puzzling decisions. I don't think anybody can even defend that. I know there's a group of like DJ defenders who are always like there whenever you criticize them. but 
I don't even think they can defend that there has been a lot of puzzling decisions. There is with most coaches, right? They kind of have their guys like Tom Pyatt back in the day, like with Guy Boucher. There's a lot of just weird things that coaches do. Um, but with DJ now entering a year where expectations are so important and, and they have to win, like if he's making weird decisions, it's going to be his downfall. Like it really is his own downfall at this point um, because Michael Anlauer, as we heard today, when asked what he wants to do to win a Stanley Cup, he said it's his passion. And I mean, like his passion is not going to let the Sens miss the playoffs for a seventh straight year uh, with DJ Smith at the helm. Like things are going to change. So uh, I guess my, my point here is that this year it really is DJ's like, it's his year. The ball is in his court. If he's willing to listen to Sean Tierney, to the other people that are joining the organization, the new scouts, right? They've changed things around. Listen on the player evaluations. Listen on, on what's working on the combos. Because, again, player evaluations are one part of analytics. But you can look at, like, which lines are working, which lines are really good in the offensive zone, which lines struggle in the defensive zone. You know, who should be playing with who. There's a lot of things that go into it and that you can take from it. Uh, and, of course, it's only a tool, but it's a pretty important tool. So, I think if DJ is, like I said, willing to learn, willing to listen, that's really going to improve. And that's one way that I think he could stay past this year. Because in my mind, this year, unless the Sens make a really nice like dent on the playoffs, DJ is probably out the door and, and Anlauer is going to bring his own guys in. But at the same time, I think that this was the the perfect thing for DJ to say to set himself up to continue being the coach of this team after this year. Um, because the biggest thing, like again we have to see it on the ice but like this sounds really good and this sounds like he's someone who's you know i think like you said he expected to kind of be gone last summer he didn't think that he was going to kind of stay into this year just based on his quotes uh and so now that he is he's probably thinking like thank you like he's kind of praising that uh and is willing to do whatever it takes to stay as the coach of the team so i absolutely love this i don't want to be too negative on dj because i don't like i don't not like dj i just think that the decision-making process has been very frustrating over the last few years. Uh, and now as a team who needs to win, there's no more, well, we didn't have the players. We weren't supposed to be a good team. We weren't supposed to win. There's really no more excuses. You have the players, unless everybody gets hurt on this team. Like it's there for you. The ball is in your court. Like DJ, just, just as Matt V is saying, we got to let DJ cook, like let DJ cook. Now it's his time to cook, get him in the kitchen and, and cook something up for me because I'm tired of the, the excuses and it's the ball is in his court. And I think DJ would tell you the same thing. I think he mentioned to Ian that he hasn't really had a roster expected to compete uh, per se. Last season could have been, you know, but they they will give them the benefit of the doubt just injury wise for for most of the year. But this is this is the year, and and quite honestly, like the window is this is the opening of the window for the Ottawa Senators. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Uh, so we got about almost seventy people watching us live right now. We're not going to wrap up just yet, but. If all 70 of you could do me a favor, just hit that subscribe button on the YouTube page. And also we're going to ask a question here and you can throw your answer in the chat as well. So you got two tasks. If you're watching this live right now, hit the subscribe button if you're not already. And then answer this question right now. Both DJ and Dorian have one year left on their deal. I believe there are team options for both. I don't know if uh, Pierre has a team option, but I know DJ does. Of the two, who is more likely to be back next season? Is it DJ Smith or is it Pierre Dorian? And just let us know in the chat if you want to. Uh, personally, I think it's more likely that DJ sticks around. Um, I don't know about you, but like I think if we, we've talked about it before, but as, as a player cohort, you're closer with the coach. So uh, if you have to get rid of one, uh, I personally, I think it makes more sense to move on from Dorian because it won't affect locker room chemistry. Now, results are important uh in a hypothetical world let's say they make the playoffs like who are you um you know I, like to me I, I still think dj is more likely to stay around 
Uh, it's it's honestly tough. It really is tough because, like I said, I think the coach, like coaches, get fired more often than GMs, right? So I think, like it, the question kind of depends because if they're not above five hundred by the Sweden trip, like Alfie's Mullet said in the chat, then I feel like it has to be DJ Smith, right? Because if if they get off to a slow start, I don't know how you can do anything other than fire DJ Smith. That's kind of my point. It is after the slow starts we've seen, somebody had a record the other day. It was just god awful over the last like first 20 games of the last two seasons uh for dj it's been really bad so uh hopefully hopefully this year they get off to a better start i think if they get off to a rough start dj's gonna be out the door before pierre just because it makes more sense to fire the coach like in the season than it does the gm but if they both last till next summer it's so results-based like if they make the playoffs i'd say it's more likely that they i don't know they might both stay like i think Anlauer, if they make the playoffs uh and that's the goal this year then why would he fire them if he if they met his expectation um i don't even really have an answer i'm excited to see what the chat says because i'm, I'm torn here this is a it could go either way if they get off to a slow start dj's gone um but at the same time if they get off to a slow start pierre's probably also gone like before too long because it's just like there's no time to waste here anymore for the sense so um yeah, I mean, I, I'm in the middle here. I, I was kind of going in with the assumption, like, and, and obviously it's hypothetical. If they end up faltering again in November, I think they should both be gone, no questions asked. Um, but, you know, if, if you're hypothetically, if they have a successful year and make the playoffs or, or do whatever, I think it makes more sense to bring DJ back versus bringing Pierre back, right? Just because there's there's more to do. Um, you, know, you know, it would, it would send a bad message, I think, to the players if... They, this coach that they've been with for so long has a successful year and they do everything that they needed to do. They grow, they make the playoffs, maybe make some noise in the playoffs. And then you don't bring the coach back. That would be a little bit of a red flag. I think if I was Kachuk or whoever, um, but again, like I'd, I still wouldn't be shocked if, because then you got to factor in like Pierre would be bringing his own, or sorry, the new GM, let's say, would bring in his want to bring his own coach. Like it's a ripple effect, right? Like Ann Laura wants his own GM, GM wants his own coach. Like that always ends up happening. But I think of the two, it would be more likely that DJ comes back. I think there was a poll on the athletic, uh, and I'm sure there's there's betting odds out there somewhere. Like I think DJ and Dorian are by far the favorites for the hottest seats. And I know Ian wrote about it, Ian Mendez at the Athletic wrote about it. Um, after the press conference, how they're on the hottest seat in the NHL, and it's not even close, really. Uh, I don't think any coach or GM is is even close to what hot seat that these two are going to be on because you factor in the new ownership lens, the expectations, all the longest like all, the longest tenure that they've been here, um, all the factors like they, they they need results, they really do. Um, so the the players might feel that pressure as well, but we'll we'll see how that all unfolds. Um, Brennan, I don't, I don't really have much more and I know there's so, there's still so much stuff to get into with training camp, but we're going to be revving up the coverage of the want to get into one more thing. Sure. (laughs) Just, just quickly. Like we're going to, yeah, we're going to have some more. We've actually got some cool little things. We've got some interviews planned coming up a little sneak peek. We've got some, uh, some features we're going to do with some other content creators too so there's a lot of stuff coming up that we're going to be doing this weekend and into training camp because again there's hockey on sunday the Sens play the leafs in their preseason opener on sunday which is completely bonkers but um yeah we're probably going to dive into that game afterwards too so we'll see but just one more thing on training camp that we learned so thomas shabbat is playing the right side alongside jacob chikrin which is like it doesn't seem like a big deal but it is because last year chikrin was playing the right side a bit shabbat i don't think has ever played the right side in his career but he is practicing there with Chikrin. Uh, maybe that's just a decision they both had, and Shabbat was more comfortable trying to move over. Chikrin likes the left side, whatever. Um, notably there. And then also Vladimir Tarasenko lined up 
as a left wing yesterday alongside who was he with Norris and Batherson or it was something like that. And they kept the first line with Sharu, Kachuk and Suitsla. So uh, Tarasenko has never played the left side in his career either, but they had him there again. Don't read too much into the line combos is what DJ tells us because it's just kind of the initial rushes getting into game shape conditioning, but uh, it is something. And I think that Shabbat playing the right side is interesting. Did you have anything? Did you take anything from that? Or is that just kind of a throw them together and see what happens? Uh, Shabbat right side. I mean, maybe, but like one of them is going to play the right side. So it'll, whoever is, you're going to be analyzing a little bit more and, and look, if Chikrin was the one who said I, I'm more comfortable on the left, um, I think Shabbat can is is versatile enough. And I love Thomas Shabbat, I really do. But defensively, if Chikrin, because Chikrin's the better defender, if Chikrin is saying I'm more comfortable defending on the left side, it's a no-brainer, right? Like give him the left side because again, Shabbat is kind of a rover and and yeah. So um, but with the the line combos, DJ did say that they're gonna start camp with Giroud, Kachok Stutzel. Um and I think his his words were he wants that to set the tone for the rest of the team because they were so good last year. And then they'll go from there. He said he's, he will be trying Tarasenko with them at some point. And again, I'll go back to Josh Norris. I think a lot of it depends on his face-off capabilities because if he can't take face-offs, then that second line doesn't have a centerman. So you're going to have to... on there. You got to mix it up. You can throw Kachuk with, with Norris as well because Kachuk is good at face-offs too. Um, so... Yeah, it would it would make more sense, obviously, just flip Giroux and Tarasenko and then solve that problem a little bit. But um, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, I I don't know. Is there a second exhibition game on Monday as well? I, I know I think the... it's Sunday Monday is their first two okay. games. Yeah. Okay. So so Wednesday. presumably it'll be the second group. So that would be Norris's team, and he won't be playing. So I'll be I'll be interested to see who they throw there. Maybe Ridley Greg. I'm not really sure, but um, we'll see how they split the groups and everything like that. It's uh, it's an exciting time. We started this podcast in April and we are finally in training camp. The ownership thing's wrapped up. Like this is pedal to the metal right now. We are ready to go. want to thank everyone for joining us live in the chat on YouTube. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leave us a rating on there as well. Um, and if you're on the YouTube after the live, just hit that subscribe button, like the post as well. Uh, we are on the road. Now, I guess let's say we're on the road to 2000 subscribers. We hit a thousand about a month and a half ago. So we are well on our way. And again, thank you to Manscaped for sponsoring the episode. Use code SENDS20, 20% off any product you want with free worldwide shipping. So that's it, folks. We will see you all on some point this weekend. I don't even, I'm not even going to say the day because we're, we're, we're flying around and just doing a, a show when we can. Because we'll see how that, that game on Sunday goes first. We, we Yeah, if, if it's a bad game, well, actually, I mean, if it's a bad game, maybe we just do even more. If an injury happens or something like that, breaking news we gotta we gotta jump on that so um one more thing actually who has the better mask going into this season is it corpusalo or is it anton forsberg oh it's corpusalo that thing is absolutely bonkers the, the shiny gold is like next level insane well if he's going to be wearing white pads he better be uh having a nice mask i'm, I'm hoping those are just for practice man <laughs> yeah that, oh, man i mean he could have the best look of a goalie with that jersey and everything like i don't even know what pads would look good like you think just like a like something just with a little bit of black red and gold like not too much just a little bit along the sides all white do the, to matt murray type I don't do, like do the martin gerber uh martin gerber black pad combo or whatever yeah yeah that, sure. that would be that would be kind of nice yeah all right so that's it for episode 40 that's 40 episodes in the bank as well for us so we will see you all next time thanks everyone for joining and go sends go it's a new era of ottawa senators hockey